Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 143 of the Civil Engineering Podcast. This is the first podcast that's dedicated to helping civil engineers around the world succeed both professionally and personally. I'm excited to be here with you today and bringing on board onto the Civil Engineering Conversation, Will Buck, who is a uh, contracts and uh, projects lawyer with Beal & Co. out of the UK. And he's going to be talking with us about COVID-19 and the impact that that's having on the construction and uh, engineering consultancy industries and what you need to be doing as a project professional uh, to make sure that uh, the contracts that you are involved in and the projects that your company are going to be involved in are uh, fit for purpose and that everything is moving along according to whatever the current uh, situation and plans may be that are in place across the industry as we uh, respond to COVID-19. We'll also be unpacking in the conversation, which I think is very useful, some things to be thinking about, uh, both with regards to contracts that you may have already underway or in flight, but what you need to be thinking about in, uh, in, in either the proposals that you're putting together or contracts that you may be uh, becoming involved with uh, in the months and probably years ahead uh, as we move forward. And there's some really good conversation and some great, uh, three great points that we'll make specifically around the issue of force majeure contracts, which many of you uh, have heard that term before. Will unpacks it for us in this episode and also gives some really great takeaways that all of us need to be thinking about, not just our counsel within our firms, but each of us, again, as, as project professionals. I'm Chris Knudsen. I'm a project professional, a chartered and professional engineer and program uh, manager with about 27 years of experience in the uh, AEC industry, a lot of it in the defense infrastructure, and I'm coming to you from the United Kingdom. A little bit about Will. I think it's uh, always useful to understand who we're going to be talking with today. And uh, Will's a contracts and advisory lawyer. He specializes in development, construction, and engineering matters, particularly, uh, well, here in the UK, but also Middle East and Africa. Highly experienced in advising on standard form contracts that include FIDIC and EDF, uh, as well as bespoke construction contracts, professional appointments, uh, collateral warranties, and a number of other aspects related to uh, project consultancy and construction. He's been involved in a lot of major construction projects, both here in the UK as well as around the world. Some of the ones that may be more notable that many of you have heard of it would have been the uh, Crossrail here in the UK, which is one of Europe's largest transportation uh, projects. Still ongoing, he was involved in, in the, um, some of the procurement strategies for the Shard in London, involved in some major oil and gas projects down in the Middle East, as well as uh, transportation projects and uh, other facility works down in Africa. So Will's, uh, he has a monthly section of the LexisNexis Construction Law Journal and is a regular speaker on matters related to um, procurement law and professional services in the engineering and construction arenas. So really excited to have Will on here. I think you're going to listen to this uh, episode come away with a lot of key things to be thinking about, especially in this new world that we're living in. So without further ado, let's get with uh, Will Buckby and get right into today's civil engineering conversation. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, everyone. Now it's time for our Civil Engineering Conversation, and I'm here with Will. Will, welcome to the Civil Engineering Podcast. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. Good morning. And in today's conversation, we're going to be talking about the topic that is front and foremost on a lot of the minds, probably every mind, of any professional who's involved in the architectural engineering construction industry, and that's COVID-19 and the impacts that that's going to have on their business and their way of life. And, um, well, I'm glad that we were able to get you on to the show. I had an opportunity to attend one of your uh, webinars here just recently about COVID-19 response in the engineering and construction industry. 
it was the reason why I really wanted to get you on the show because I felt that that was uh, really good information that was going to be useful for all of our listeners. So let's just jump into this because I think um, this okay. is certainly something that's really hitting a lot of the architectural engineering consultants in the construction industry. So if you could just maybe give us a kind of a high level overview of what this impact is that COVID-19 is having on the construction market overall. COVID-19 is having a, a significant impact on all walks of life, construction in particular. Just looking at, at the UK, consultants, professionals are now all working from home and asking the big question, should we, can we go on site? Should we be going on site and fulfilling our duties? Will our services continue? Will we continue with our supervision services? Will we continue with our design duties? What's going to happen with our projects? When COVID-19 initially properly arrived here in the UK, I think there was a huge amount of uncertainty as to what the current position is. On the 23rd of, of March, Boris Johnson, Prime Minister, put us all, as you know, on lockdown. And there was a big question as to what that means for the construction sector. He effectively introduced only essential travel for, for the key workers, so a ban on anything else. So the, the big question to the construction sector is what does that mean for us? Will sites stay open? Will construction projects continue? And it wasn't until, um, I think, the next day that the housing minister issued a tweet, a typical way of communicating yeah, right. government policy <laughs> these days, to yeah. say that construction sites can continue and should continue. Following that, contractors and employers have taken a step back and I think now are in a much better position to assess what has happened and to decide whether the sites remain open. MACE, yeah, in particular, and I mentioned them because they've been quite vocal in the public in relation to how they are going to approach this, suspended all projects initially in order to assess the current position. ISG, big contractor here in the UK, announced that it was suspending all construction projects. And, and I think since then, we, the industry, have looked at health and safety and whether construction projects can continue. Health and safety is, of course, paramount. Every employer must ensure the health and safety of their staff, of their supply chain, of the individuals they, they work with as well. And following that assessment, following an assessment of the impact of, of COVID-19, I think the current position is some construction projects are continuing and some are on hold. And the test should be, and this is very important, if you as an employer, either the owner of the project, the contractor, the consultant, if you can guarantee the health and safety and well-being of your staff, your supply chain, and those who you work with, then you can continue working. However, if you can't, then I think the industry's position and certainly my advice as a legal advisor to, to our clients is that, that you should not work and that projects should be put on hold or assessed as to how projects and work can continue safely. There's been a fair amount of industry guidance on this. because The Construction Leadership Council has issued three versions of site operating procedures dealing with the likes of social distancing, hygiene, site meetings and how 
contractors, consultants should operate. We're also saying if you can't comply with that guidance, then you should also seriously consider whether you should continue working on site. With these directives that are coming out, is it generally understood what a COVID-19 safe job site is going to look like? And, you know, obviously there's construction sites and then we have office operations as well with a lot of, you know, engineering design consultancies that have now been have been put into into a, a different working environment. So I'd be curious to hear your thoughts from a really from a legal yeah. advisory standpoint of what constitutes if I'm running a company, what constitutes a safe job site for my operations. It's important to distinguish between um, the professionals, the engineers, the architects, and site work because clearly, like yourself, like me, we can work to a large extent from home, and technology has made that considerably easier. And I think the majority of, if not all, consultants are not traveling to work, are working from home. That is the right thing to do as a legal advisor. For professionals who can do that, the prime minister has said, if you can work from home, you should. And that is the best way to ensure the health and safety of your staff. If you are required to go into the office, then employers must ensure that public health guidance is followed and that is avoiding meetings where possible and making sure social distancing is taking place within the office ensuring hygiene standards are of an exceptional level these are all obvious comments that governments are talking about i think that's easy for the professionals as i mentioned for the contractors or the, the consultants who are going on site we spoke a week or two back and you were just returned from a visit It is absolutely vital, again, that employers ensure that public health guidance is being followed, that construction leadership councils, site operating procedures are being followed. And if there's any doubt, any doubt that they are not, then employers, senior managers need to make a a very difficult but right decision and stop and prevent their staff from being in a situation where they are at risk of contracting the virus. And it requires some difficult decisions because at the end of the day, there are projects to deliver, there are contracts to perform, but health and safety must come first. I think contractors and employers are in a much, much better position now than they were on the 23rd of March when the Prime Minister's announcement for lockdown was made, followed by the tweet I I mentioned earlier. Mm -hmm. They've taken a step back. They have looked at ways of delivering the projects differently so that they can comply with the social distance rules, the construction leadership council's guidance. For example, we've all seen on social media kitchens having chairs removed around tables so that only two people can sit around a table, site meetings where people are standing meters apart from each other. And Certain work that does require close contact at current time, if possible, not taking place. I think by and large, that should be happening, and I hope, on the majority of construction sites. There are clear guidance by Public Health and the Construction Leadership Council that should be followed. I think what we all understand right now, just as you've already pointed out, Will, that where we are today as we record this podcast versus where we were back on the 23rd of March, and quite frankly, where we probably will be at the end of the month of April of 2020, 
are going to be in different locations as, as all of us, you know, as the governments understand how to approach it and how industry puts out its guidance to it. So I just would, you know, caution listeners to stay up to date on the current yes. information that's coming out. And just like you said, I mean, from my own professional background, you know, people first. So there's always a need to make sure that you're looking at your staff and ensuring that the staff's health and safety is paramount as you as you walk through this. Now, of course, there could be situations, and, and I'm going to kind of move things maybe a little bit from talking about impact on the construction market to let's start talking a little bit about maybe potential impacts on, on contracts, because you've already yes. brought this yes. up, that even though we're in this different arena where we're having um, the friction of reality playing into this with you know not being able to do meetings in the same location. And, and although we have technology, sometimes that, that creates additional time impacts that can knock on into the work that we're actually doing in delivering projects. Everybody listening to this understands and knows what force majeure is, but what happens if you found yourself on the 23rd of March in a contract that didn't have that kind of a clause? What avenues might exist for an engineering consultancy to deal with that situation that they're in? Yeah. What are the legal ramifications of that? There's clearly consequences. There's inability to deliver services and works. There's going to be delay. There's going to be cost overruns. And you know, the obvious reasons for those consequences could be unable to perform because of a threat to health and safety. New site operating procedures are resulting in additional cost, additional time in delivery and late delivery of supplies. Um, due to poor, poor transport connections, but also warehouses are closing or huge demand in other areas, such as for the NHS. So one has to look at their contract to ascertain what relief they have. And, and that is absolutely important. It's important because under English law, there isn't a concept of force majeure. That the common law outside of the contract does not imply force majeure into your contract. So you are unable to rely on force majeure unless it's written in your contract and describes what force majeure is. Some contracts might just say force majeure, which in itself creates some uncertainty because it is not a recognized term. It's, it's French and it's written into their civil code and used elsewhere. But the, the definition, if it is in your contract, would typically say that if there is a circumstance that neither party could prevent and which was outside of their reasonable control or contemplation, then they would obtain relief in the performance of their duties. An extension of time if your services are bound by time requirements. So for a professional, the first step because of COVID-19 is to pick up your contract and see if you have a force majeure clause. Most bespoke contracts will have it, I think, these days. A lot of the standard form contracts will, will have it. And if there is a force majeure clause in there, it is likely that you are relieved from your obligations because of the virus. It's unlikely that you are going to be able to claim additional money, but you are likely to, be, to obtain relief from delivery and an extension of time in the circumstance. But it's not just the force majeure clause one should focus on. There has been a huge amount of chatter on social media, articles written by external lawyers, law firms on force majeure. That is only part of the contract that needs to be looked at. Professionals need to look at whether they're entitled to 
additional fees, because of additional work, because of delay, and hopefully the variation provisions will entitle them to claim additional fees in these circumstances. And they also should be looking at an extension of time clause as well to see if they can obtain an extension of time as well as additional fees because of COVID-19. And most bespoke forms will allow that. Every contract's different, but most should. And certainly the standard industry forms, such as BIDIC and the ACE, um, the UK Consultant Engineer Standard Form, that will entitle you to time and money. Everyone's talking about force majeure, and we, certainly in the UK, need to be very careful because it's not implied in, into the contract. So you need to pick up your contract and, and look what avenues you've got in the circumstances. As we look at whatever the new normal is going to be once we're you know, moved beyond the current situation we're in right now, do you see changes coming to standard form contracts or maybe even non-standard form contracts as specifically related to these types of situations with the thought process that now that we've experienced it, it's likely to happen again? Absolutely. I mean, it's not just about it's likely to happen again. Unfortunately, research that the press are saying this, the current circumstances are going to for an, an extended period, how long we don't know. If you are negotiating a contract now, you haven't signed yet, I think it is vital that you include a clause or series of clauses providing you with remedies in the current circumstances. That would, the three buckets, I suppose, that I just mentioned, drafting in relation to force majeure, explaining what force majeure is, explaining that you get relief, bucket one. Bucket two, an extension of time because of COVID-19 and additional cost because of COVID-19. The way I tended to describe the circumstance is an epidemic, a pandemic, including coronavirus, COVID-19, but also the immediate effects thereafter, because it might be declared by the World Health Organization that it is no longer a pandemic, but the consequences of may still exist, that it is difficult to get onto site. Social distancing may be operated in your jurisdiction after the event. There may be time and delay to get back on to site or when you need to restart your services after the pandemic. So it's important that it's widely defined. I also think that all engineers should be looking at their standard terms of business, their day one terms, uh, their standard consultancy fee proposal that attaches terms. They should be looking at that and make and amending them so that they deal with the circumstances, the three buckets that I've, that I've just mentioned. And moving forward, I think it's one of those areas that needs to go into the, the must-haves, the red flags. If I was carrying out the contract review, there isn't relief because of coronavirus, COVID-19. It's one of those important clauses now that must be included in all appointments. And thus far, the market has reacted to that. And when I've been advising professionals, engineers on that clause, there generally hasn't been that much kickback by the employers. It, I mean, it'd be wrong for them to do that. We are getting those clauses in. If there is going to be a debate, it's whether the consultant gets money in addition to the relief forming obligations and the, and the delay. And that is an area that is debated in, in negotiations. But most of the time, it is time and money. I think really an important segment of this show 
is talking around that because especially in the consultancy arena, if we're already in flight on a, on a contract, you know, the terms and conditions have already been placed in, you've built up your fee proposal was based off of a certain reality that now has changed. I know just recently, in fact, as, as we record this, I'm in the, in the midst of a couple of different uh, proposal developments that are going on that the request for proposal invitations of tender did not have any anything, any language related to COVID-19. There's been no amendments that have been sent out. And so as we're developing our proposals and looking at the terms and conditions, this has now become very forefront is to, okay, we are going to have to be very clear in assumptions and exclusions as we develop this in our tender responses and our, our proposal submittals so that it's clearly understandable to the client, to the employer, that we haven't priced or established anything yeah. covid in the stipula- you know, that that's a big assumption, I think, as we know now that potentially we could be operating in this you know, new situation that we find ourselves mm. in, some semblance of that for months to come. For all of our listeners on here, very important to understand your contract terms and conditions, get into that, and then considering how that's going to knock on into proposal development that's going that you're maybe working on right now today, or that you're going to be looking at having to work on upcoming futures. One other thing which is important, so particularly with international projects, and I've seen this a lot in the last week or so, with professionals who are on site uh, abroad outside of their, their home country, where there are expats in Africa, in the Middle East, where there has been or will be shortly, particularly Africa, because it's as of today, it's, it's behind the curve. The decision from the business is to get their staff home. And that's fine in theory, provided also one can get around the logistical issues of, with air travel. But in relation to the contract, most contracts that I've seen do not deal with the associated costs and consequences arising out of that. The consultant might be entitled to an extension of time. If lucky, it, it might be entitled to additional fees. But does that include extracting its staff at huge expense. Who takes that risk? Who prices for that? It's also a a difficult assessment when you look at, take Africa, for example, in many parts of Africa, either the COVID-19 cases are very low, and in some countries there hasn't been many, if any, reported. At that point in time, the local markets aren't operating social distancing or isolation, or leaving towns and cities. So why should the international consultant who is working there, why adopt a different approach? And I raise this because of, I expect a large number of listeners across the globe working to also think about how that's going to be drafted, how that's going to be priced for. It's probably right now to make provisions or drafting in, in contracts dealing with that exact circumstance. So in the fee schedule, provide um, a statement to say, if as a result of a force majeure or, or coronavirus, COVID-19, um, it is decided that we, that staff need to leave the country, this is the consequence. This is what's going to happen with the fees. It's a new area of negotiation because, yeah, no, you're it, right. but it's definitely something that needs to be considered. We've talked a lot about now about force majeure, the, you know, the yes. three different buckets and the kind of the buckets of approach uh, on as, as we move towards that. This may be linked to what we've already talked about, but I'm just going to ask it straight out again because we have, we've talked around it, but haven't really just nailed it. What should someone do if the site that they're working on 
turns up closed. So the employer or the client just says, that's it, we're closing the site, off you go. Have we already kind of talked through that? Or do you think that there's some additional considerations that need to be taken into in that kind of a situation? The first point, and we, you know, I probably should have mentioned this earlier, is dialogue and obvious comments is absolutely key. We're seeing where there has been closure, almost a contract being left in the drawer and almost a gentleman's agreement amongst the professionals, the contractor, about what's going to happen. It's stay away, some commitment from the employer that will look at restarting this as soon as possible, we'll look at your costs, we'll look at time and money. And to a large extent, yeah, that's a positive. Dialogue is, is absolutely key. If there are any discussions around that, make sure, again, another obvious comment, you document these yeah. discussions. And as a lawyer, the amount of times that the problems come to us and there's very little evidence, hard evidence of you know, meeting notes, telephone notes, to document what has been agreed or promised so that you can hopefully rely on that moving forward. But you must go to your contract and you need to follow the mechanisms there under. So that might include a notice, and it's obvious, but the project is going to be in delay now. I'm going to incur additional fees. I'm not going to meet the key dates in my contract. So here is a notice setting out the consequences. And you are right to provide those notices in order to protect your position. The majority of contracts will give you relief in those circumstances. Relief in terms of performance, relief in terms of program obligations, but they also are likely to, as I've said, give you additional costs. But pick up the contract, file the correct notices. That might be a warning notice, that might be a notice within a certain time scale in order to claim additional time and additional money. It's vital that you comply with those notices because if you don't, it is possible you'll lose any entitlement or end up in a, a scrap further down the line. He said, she said, and there is a vacuum as to the current position. That tends to lead to disputes which you want to avoid. So again, pick up the contract, follow your notices, provide your notices. So I've got one last question here, and this is, I don't know that this is necessarily a completely out there question, but again, as we're starting to look at, you know, we are where we are now, things yes. are going to move on, we're going to get into a different type of new normal. Do you see any kind of an impact? And if so, what is that impact going to be on the judicial and legal system, specifically with regards to construction cases, maybe just in general, are there, you know, are there going to be delays in this? Is it going to take longer to resolve issues just because of where we're at? It's early days, but even in a, in a short time scale since the lockdown, a fair amount has happened in terms of the legal system. We are all working from home, which means for disputes and the dispute process, it is not as easy to convene pre-action protocol meetings, settlement meetings, mediation, and also clearly court hearings. So a number of the cases that we have in the office have been delayed because we're unable to meet to have a mediation. The mediation might have happened at our offices, our offices are shut. So that needs to be rearranged, and I'll come on to that in a minute. Unable to file documents as part of the dispute process, mm -hmm. because they're on site, they're in the office, and we're working from home. So there has been delay, clearly, but we are starting to see legal system become modern in its approach, and my firm has hosted a number of mediations 
set of meetings already using Zoom with some success. You need a good leader of that meeting, of that mediation, in order to direct and also work the, the technology, which is a challenge, <laughs> yeah, challenge for exactly. some of us. Technology is coming to the fore. I'm aware of some hearings in front of a judge taking place using technology. So we're getting there. And the general view is where there is an absolute need for a hearing, for a settlement meeting, it will still take place using technology. And I think over time, it will become the new normal or near to that. We have the technology to do it. What we're also seeing, this is important for for consultants who might owe money or are in a in a dispute is adjudication taking more and more adjudications in the UK. So for those who are not aware of the adjudication process in the UK, it's a statutory process that all those involved in the construction sector have a right to. It's a fast track dispute resolution process within about 28 days from submission of your claim to a decision by an adjudicator. So a lot of the decisions are, are done without hearings and on paper, and it's cheaper, it's fast track, it's sometimes a bit quick and dirty, but it's fantastic for payment matters. We are seeing an uptick in adjudications because the settlement meetings, the hearings, courts aren't taking place, but also some organisations are taking advantage of the current circumstance, knowing that it will be very difficult for a recipient of a claim in an adjudication to get their act together, find the documents and respond within 28 days. What is also interesting is that there has already been a court case on this in the UK, and generally the circumstances are not a defence. You are likely to be able to get extensions of time if you plead that and you do it in a reasonable manner. However, it is not a defence. So what I say to the listeners is make sure your house is in order. If, if there are any matters that you think are at risk, be ready and, and look out for that. Well, thank you very much. This, uh, the main segment of the show is going to come to an end here, but this has been really, really useful information. Appreciate it. And uh, Will's going to stick around for the uh, hot seat segment. We'll be right back. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. All right, so we're back, and it's now time for the CE Hot Seat segment with Will Buckby. First question at you is, um, a lot of people have rituals that they practice each day. These, these may be mm-hmm. things like um, going to the gym in the morning, going for a walk, could be reading a book, something like that that they do every day. And they do that because they see that as a way of being able to keep the saw sharp and to be you know, professionally and personally um, benefited from that. So I'd be curious to hear, do you have any rituals that you follow each day? As a lawyer, I'm, I'm fortunate to be busy and the hours tend to be quite lengthy at times. But I think for me, what's really important is in the morning, I ensure that I spend time before I leave the office with my two children in order to keep sane, and, but also spend time with them and, and watch them grow up. That starts my day off. In the current climate, walking, which I expect what everyone else is doing, I make sure towards the end of the day, in addition to chasing my two children around in the morning, I will do a long walk before sundown in order to, to escape the intensity of the, of the day and also to escape the children. 
you see right behind you, there's lots of books. Uh, we talked about that just before the podcast today. But I'd be curious to know, is there one, maybe even two books that you would find that you would recommend to others to read or maybe that you even give as a gift? You know, two books that have had a really large impact yeah. on you uh, personally or professionally. Professionally, without a doubt, has to be a book called Professional Services Agreements by Rachel Barnes, who uh, is a retired partner of Beal Co. And that book deals with the nuts and bolts of professional services agreements. And it is described in a way that isn't over, over legalistic. It's very commercial and very practical. So at the, the start of my career or my early days of Beal Co., that was my Bible. And it is still on my desk in the office, and I turn to it very regularly. So I would, I would recommend that to anyone with either an interest in you know, the legal aspects of consultancy agreements or for, as a resource for when you're negotiating an appointment and you need some guidance, you need a steer. I should add, and I, I haven't chosen this book for this session for this reason, but I'm updating that text currently. So it is brought the current day to affect legal developments with the likes of BIM and the hardening contractual market, perhaps some drafting in relation to coronavirus and COVID-19. But that has been my comfort blanket for many years. So professionally, uh, Rachel Barnes's uh, book on professional services agreements. Personally, I'm a fan, and many people aren't, of Richard Branson. And I enjoy reading his short books and also his sticker hardback just on his business decisions, just on the exciting adventures that he's been on. Because I, I enjoy his entrepreneurism and his excitement about life. And the legal profession at the, at the end of the day is still a business. And I get lots of personal and professional, I wouldn't say ideas, but drivers from Richard Branson. Uh, so I'm, yeah, I'm currently reading one of his books. All right, I've got one more question for you. Okay. We call it the uh, civil engineering career elevator advice question. So mm-hmm. if you got into an elevator with an engineer, of course, maintaining social distancing and all that, uh, all course. those aspects, of course, with it, but you had 30 to 40 seconds to give that person some advice, career advice, what would that career advice be? I would say, don't leave the contract in the drawer. It's negotiated, it's prepared, it's signed for a reason. If you're at the forefront of a project and, 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 and delivering services, perhaps on a big ticket project or, or whatever, is, is make sure that you at least understand your contract. Two examples I give regularly around payment. Make sure you know your payment process. Make sure you know when you need to submit invoices and in what format, because cash is key, particularly in the current climate. Make sure you know your variation process. Put your correct notices in. Use your contract. It's there for a reason. And those who operate their contract most of the time are better off. That's my advice, my career advice. Don't leave the contract in the drawer. One final note here is um, anyone that's been listening today, where can they get in contact with you and learn more about uh, the work that you do with Beal Co? Beal Co, we uh, have offices in UK, London, Bristol, Ireland, and the Middle East. They can get in contact with me. My email address is w. Buckby, B-U-C-K-B-Y, at Beale, B-E-A-L-E, hyphen, law.com. Will, thank you very much again. Um, Stay safe. All the best to you and your family. And uh, 
we'll be back in touch again real soon, I'm sure. The same to you. Thank you very much. Enjoyed it. So that was a really good conversation that I just uh, completed there with uh, Will Buckby. Hope you enjoyed it um, and got some really key items for you to take away with regards to the projects and the contracts that you have underway and the ones that you're going to be developing and putting in place in the months and years ahead. Again, great, great points. And if you want to get all the uh, show notes, links to some of the books and uh, the other references that Will brought up during the uh, course of the interview today, please go over to civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode 143, and you'll find all the different details for today's show, as well as go there and you can get access to all the other uh, shows that we've got in the library there, along with the details that, uh, that can come up with all that. So I really hope you enjoyed it again today. Look forward to being with you on a uh, podcast here in the future. And until then, I wish you all the best in your civil engineering endeavors. Anthony Fasano here, president of the Engineering Management Institute. I hope you enjoyed having Chris Knutson back to host this episode of the Civil Engineering Podcast. Chris will be doing some more hosting in the coming months as his position as a program manager and his storied career as a civil engineer in the military has given him access to experts in the civil engineering field who he will be interviewing on the podcast. During the time of this pandemic, EMI will continue to publish our free content for engineers and we will continue to run our remote training courses, both our Engineering Management Accelerator People Skills course and our Project Management Accelerator PM Skills course. You can find our free content as well as our training courses at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org on the content and training tabs. We're also offering deferred billing for companies looking to enroll multiple participants during this time. Stay safe and be well. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success. 